Well, interestingly, so I, I, I would say this is probably around 85, 1985, 1986, and I was living in, uh, in London, and um, I just moved from Ealing to Tooting, and uh, what the guy who sort of had the the lease with the with the dentist. We lived above a dentist, and uh, um, he introduced me to a book. And I can't quite remember the name of the title, but I'll, I'll get get to it. But I, at the, at the time, I was um, I just finished uh, university, and I was working at the population of census surveys in England for the government. It was a temporary civil service job for one year, you know, really shitty, shitty wages, even though you could say I'm a civil servant, <laughs> but really shitty, shitty, shitty wages considering the uh, amount of rent that you had to pay. And so I was really in transition because my parents had already moved to Vancouver, Canada, and I was still there. I had to wait a year because you do an application after they'd moved because then I was the last remaining member of the family. And um, so the the particular, the, the headspace, so it's, it's very, it, it's a struggle. You know, I must have been 22, 23. And, uh, it, you know, life is such a struggle. You get a job, you get a paid rent, and then you get, a, well, you know, you get to have your drinks and stuff like that and your pot before, before the food. But, you know, you somehow <laughs> manage to get by. So that was sort of the headspace. It was like quite, uh, I wouldn't say poverty. I mean, poverty would be where, you don't have a place to live, as I would see, you don't have a place to live and you're going from house to house or even living on the street. But the particular book, I think, was uh, about um, uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which um, I, I can't remember if it was Frogs into Princes, um, Richard Bandler was one of the guys. But it was really a little um, how to go from, because even though, you know, your headspace is like in such a this, that, or the other, but your youth, I, I was thinking, there must be something more, right? There must be something, uh, uh, there must be a way <laughs> 
to like keep my headspace clear or open or present or or some such thing. And uh, so I think the particular, I don't know if it was from there or a little bit later, it was really to, I was sort of investigating uh, self-hypnosis. And uh, so that was the, uh, and with self-hypnosis, it's, um, it's actually quite, quite simple. It's, you just take a couple of tactile things, tactile meaning either sounds or feelings or temperature or so, and uh, you try and get into that uh, headspace. So, you know, for instance, you could, uh, you know, you might be sitting in the snow or the rain somewhere or other, and you just close your eyes and you think about a time when you were on the beach and you could feel the sand in, in your feet, you could smell the fishy smell and the sun was beating down upon you. So that was sort of the the focusing of the of the uh, of the things. So, so that's what that yeah, so snap me out of it, eh? Snap me out of it. I took off. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me I got stuck here, Jim, so I'm asking for clarification. So I was very intrigued when you said that you uh, thought there was something more, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. What, what is the more that you thought might be there? Oh, I, I, at that point, I didn't know. I, I didn't know if it was like uh, uh, just, just, just not having or not wanting to feel depressed, like there was no future, so to speak. You were struggling. You were, you know, you're making your rent, but that was about it. And um, and so it was all those things. They just sort of way way down on you and the, and there must have been a and then plus i was uh, at the moment uh, i was contemplating whether to move to vancouver canada or not to move or stay there and make a run of it on my own and uh, you know the uh, the whole um 10 yards um what what gave me glimpses or hope that there was something else that that I, I I'm not sure of um yeah but uh, it must have been something <laughs> yeah Jimmy well I'm just going to say about jazz maybe it just you didn't have anything holding you back from thinking there was more mm-hmm. which I think uh sliding into my little story as a child I I was relatively free of terrible anguish I was a decent kid lots of friends good athlete liked things got along but my dad and my grandpa were both very good thinkers very good debaters they were kind of atheist communist guys in Edmonton Alberta conservative conservative 
and they could talk to people about it. They, they weren't limited in their being in a situation where they were on the sidelines of the popularity uh, and they were able to keep looking at different ideas. Like my grandpa talked about China and water, and like white people falling apart and lots of things that weren't in the normal day to day. So I realized, well, it's fair to look for more if you don't be stupid and crazy and let people know even, you know, you can, you can look if you're careful and, and don't upset the animals, right? And so one, for me, a lot of it was freedom. School I found inhibiting. Uh, and so freedom, running with the dogs, running in the bush. The first book that hit me was Tarzan of the Apes, the original Tarzan of the Apes. I just was blown away by it. And uh, just the freedom that having that kind of existence in a jungle and being connected to animals. Wow, it was cool. And then I slipped ahead to university and I read a lot. I read tons. By the time I got to high school, I was looking for books that had a little bit of sex in them just for uh, my own personal gratification. <laughs> And, and then moved on and I got Robert Durop's book, um, The Master Game, I accidentally found it, and read it and then was interested. And then later, uh, Gurdjieff, when I moved here, uh, I, I read, met, I got remarkable meetings with remarkable men when I was in Afghanistan and was not taken away by it, but read it and it was significant. And then when I got into meetings with uh, uh, Beelzebub's Tales and I read it with a lady uh, one summer and just, it became very, very significant. That book was really uh, loosened the, the ties uh, in normal life. And I felt okay about it. I, I'd show, tell people about it. Most people didn't care. So, so I was comfortable with that breaking freeness and then bumped into secret talks with Mr. G and bingo. <laughs> the, ra the rabbit jumped out of the hat and here we are. And uh, still, still trying to look in a little bit. And so that's my story, I think. So, so tell me more about the, I'm fascinated by Tarzan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tell me that was great, man. That got me to lean oh. in right away, Jim. Um, well, tell me books. more about the Tarzan and, and its infect and what did it did it does it did it like give you an, an imag a certain imaginary thoughts about life or tell me more about that. I want to know. The connection to animals and the bush and to indigenous people uh seemed really cool i mean you know people ordinary people yeah they're great but all those other things are a little more archetypal dogs you know you run them in the bush they're happy they're happy they're on fire and uh and i love doing that for dogs and i loved running in the bush and then uh you know and so like tarzan was like the ultimate run running in the bush guy right 
And William Burroughs was a good writer as well. I mean, he was a very good writer. So it was an escape. I mean, you know, I will, uh, my life here is not quite Tarzan, but it's <laughs> in the bush. My dog loves to go in for a run. I love to take him. And I'm still, you know, more directed towards archetype stuff than modern white man things. You know, uh, you know, the garden, very, very uh, strong. I was out digging in it today again and just feeds me. That, that stuff feeds me. The ordinary world does not feed me that strongly. And so, and then, you know, bumping into EJ, it just opened a lot of doors. Uh, there's lots of room for <laughs> seeking seeking to try things you know and uh, i mean here we are you know still not knowing but uh still interested very good you know you guys are interested guys you know i mean i can talk to you and i know you're you're there and, and, and you know you're looking for something you know looking for some something that'll take you away a little bit so how did it go from physical? So I'm going to do a literary thing on you, Jim. How did yeah. it go from physical, like plants, animals, the bush, archetypal yeah. animals, etc.? How did it, yeah. do you know how it, or can you trace or, or guess how it transferred from physical realm, running around, right? Yeah. To a metaphysical realm. Well, I think your metaphysical realm is archetypal. It's, it's not modern, it's deep, very, very deep. Just like planting a potato is very, very deep. It's got, you know, goes back and covers a lot of lineages, right? So the archetypal part of it is, is significant, I think. And, and EJ, when I first met him, I think I, I didn't realize it, but his, his physicality is quite strong. His, his, uh, he, he's very, he's animal-ish to me. You know, he's, he's got, I don't know, I, there's a word for it. He's, he's to say how this is, was it's the kind of world he was in. It was more, more um, the body kind of thing, you know? It wasn't just the mind, it was the body and how that, is is uh, a way of getting free is uh, you know allowing your body to develop archetypal tendencies and it does you know digging in the garden bingo I'm feeling okay at the end of it watching all the different little things happening you know oh, oh look at that oh you know it's, you know it's very cool it's very and it's not made up. So I guess that's the part of it that I seek out, you know, is, is there's some significance there that's not just personality driven, you know, like me stuff. And you, Fred, what was, um, well, you're I, a book guy, I think. Well, I'm a little bit like the both of you in different ways. So, so it's going to be like a, my version of your stories combined in my own <laughs> experience. So 
like Jim, I lived a very unchallenged, very pleasant, happy childhood. You know, there was, my parents were super good at like orchestrating this uh, middle-class white kid suburban upbringing, fantastic, right? So there was a lot of certainty for me, lots of certainty, right? My parents were excellent at creating this idea of, of, of uh, this is what you do, right? And they, they were people of their, they, they lived by their words too. It wasn't words, it was like action, right? It was, it was illustrations, not theory. <laughs> so, so everything was very steady. And then as I think I said last week or previous week, I went to university and learned everything I know was wrong, right? All these certainties that I had been given about who would be in university, what they did, and 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 you know it was just nothing like I was prepared mm -hmm. for, right? So that was also super freeing. That's another copy from Jim, right? So I was in a sense freed from these very narrow, this very narrow pathway. I used to describe it at the time as like my parents want me to be an accountant. Right. Not that there was any pressure. They never said that, but that was like how clear, you know, it was like Fred is good at math. Fred will be an accountant. Right. Um, and then university happened is, and so things got turned upside down and I too, I too jazz want, there's a lyric from a band called Ultravox, which I loved in the early 80s, a new wave band called Ultravox. And one of the lyrics was, there must be more to life than this. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, or I would like the Ramones had a terrible Ramones song was being like, it's not my place in the nine to five world, right? So there was these bands that were, so before, before books were bands, punk rock new wave yeah. bands coming in in this channel that was no wasn't there previously because you know i wasn't open right mm -hmm. so then when my world got shattered and, and not a not in a sad way it wasn't like i was mourning or anything i was like wow my parents are wrong <laughs> how weird <laughs> you know and so there was these other channels that were open. And so lyrics were super important to me. And my teachers, my first teachers were really punk rock musicians, bands, and new wave, especially the new wave. The punk rock was for the young sort of awake, the, the dumb version, not dumb, just raw. Raw is much better, right? And then came this other kind of music called new wave, which was a little more thoughtful and introspective and, and, and questioned the world, right? It was like the political movement that didn't get televised, right? And so they these became my teachers, right? Mm -hmm. And I took them very seriously, right? They they were they were showing me how to live life, right? And how to think and how to question and and it touched me. And I was in internally, I was like, oh, so these people feel like I do. They're I'm not alone. All that sort of cliched stuff, right? So I don't know how, I can't remember for the life of me and, it's in, and I'm, I'm disappointed that I don't remember how, but I somehow bought a book because somehow I, I believed that books, there must, books must be important. <laughs> that maybe people write about this stuff. 
So I, I don't know how, but I ended up with a copy of P.D. Uspensky's A New Model of the Universe. I don't know what it, it, don't ask me. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was just like, whoa, this other, so something was withheld, right? The word esoteric became something I learned, like the word esoteric. So this, there's stuff that's hidden. So, you know, and I have to find it because, you know, only the really clever people on planet earth could, can have the, this moment that they, that I am going to take advantage of, like, I'm going to follow this, right? So there must be more than light to life than this. And th thousands of other lyrics sort of steered me toward books that talked about what was behind the veil or what was esoteric and, and you know, all the sort of stories that go along with that. So P.D. Uspensky's A New Model of the Universe, which now in retrospect is like his worst book <laughs> for me. Like I find <laughs> there's nothing in there that, that I'm interested in. But at the time it was like, oh, whoa. And then I bought, so I ended up buying P.D. Uspensky books. I think the next one, uh, uh, In Search of the Miraculous, was really important for me. Mm. And then from there, like Jim with Gert Jeff and, you know, and all that and whatever, whatever, whatever. But the door opened. Mm -hmm. Music. P.D. Uspensky's book, you know, onward. Mm -hmm. There. So that was my headspace and the book. And Claymon. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. that's a good. Should I tell that story? Yeah. Whatever you yeah. can edit it out, Jeff. So Claymont, similarly, I is a combination of these two impulses, Jim. So for me, as I read, you know, Idiots in Paris, and you know, my life with Mr. Gurdjieff, the DeHartman book, and you know, when I was reading and reading and reading, I was like, damn, all these people are already dead. Just my luck, I come in after the game is over, right? I was so disappointed. I was, I'm so tired about reading what people did in the, the I, was, I wasn't alive. <laughs> I was so jealous, right? So I started, that was my feeling. I felt sort of, ah, I missed out, man. I was born too late. I really missed out on all of this. It would have been so much fun to participate in this. Um, And so, of course, it puts in your head the idea of a school, right? So those books paint this, this picture for me of like search for a school. Gurdjieff found a school, right? People then made a school and people came to him and school, school. So I was looking for a school, but I assume they were all either run by people who used to know the guy who was important. And now it hand, it's, you know, the, the second and third generation of the teaching, which is was not interesting to me in any form, right? I wanted the first generation. I wanted to be with the teacher, not with the students of the students of the teacher, right? So in the background, I was always looking and being alert and, and not really finding anything. And then all of a sudden I had a magazine that I say, I saved certain things. I saved rock and roll magazines. And there was an interview in there, paper magazine, no less like a newspaper with Robert. Robert. <laughs> Robert Fripp was interviewed because, you know, he was in the League of Gentlemen at that point and, you know, and very much a part of like the avant-garde esoteric world of, of music, right, of rock music. And in there, he, he, they ask him about the Claymont. They ask him about Claymont Communications because he at one point around the time of this article was president of Claymont, right? 
So they ask, and he mentioned J.G. Bennett. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's another one of Gurdjieff's students. I don't know much about him. And then there was a school and an ad. I was like, no, wait a minute. That's the guy that Robert Fripp is sampling on the League of Gentlemen, right? So then I go to the liner notes of this album that I owned and liked pretty well, right? And it was very strange, Heptapar Parshnook and, you know, song titles like that. What the hell does that mean, right? And there in the back of the liner notes was Claymont Communications, sampled, you know, J.G. Bennett sampled from and with permission of Claymont Communications, Post Office Box, whatever, Charlestown, West Virginia. So I wrote him a letter. So music and books came together again to kind of kick me in, in a more direct, uh, a more, uh, more clear direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now thinking about it, thinking a little bit more about it, there was, um, as I was uh, growing up and uh, going to school, primary school, I guess you'd call it, we did read these, uh, uh, the, uh, I think they were by Enid Blyton, the uh, magic faraway tree and the enchanted woods, where suddenly you're just in a regular forest and suddenly you go through a door and you're into a, another magical land. And, uh, and then you, you know, there was the uh, psilocybin mushrooms and Aldous Huxley, Aldous Huxley and the uh, doors of perception. And um, yeah, so there were, there were a few more influences there. My, my dad was quite, uh, he was a practicing Sikh. So he was, an, and sometimes I'd have these conversations with him, and I said, "So, so you know which religion is right? You got these guys saying this, and those guys saying that, and this going here." And uh, I, I thought he was just going to say, "Well, Sikhism is the right one," but he didn't. He said, "Well, I guess I guess you'd have to study and, and read up on all the different ones, and then make up your mind." <laughs> He'll probably. I He's 88 now. He probably doesn't remember. He probably thinks, what, what did, <laughs> why did I tell him this, you know? But, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was another sort of, sort of uh, influence or, uh, or thing. Yeah, we, yeah, there was a lot of music around, but I, I never really, I didn't get into the music until I, um, yeah, the yeah the music was around, you know, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and what have you. But um, so yeah, we were the, all we were all sorry to interrupt, Judge. We were all yeah, yeah. sort of able because of a non-restrictive childhood to move freely, which is not always the case, mm -hmm. right? We were stable enough families, stable enough lives that our own interests were able to develop, which is huge, huge. That's what I'm very thankful about. Okay, go ahead, sorry guys. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, that's good. I used to watch, the, the Moody Blues were important for me too, right? So 
I used to watch <laughs> turntable where you can you can imagine where my brain may have been or what it may have been influenced and I would watch the, the 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 album spin around the turntable and it had a had a graphic of a head sort of bursting through right whatever and it would spin around and I would watch it and it would finally it dawns upon me it's like oh Threshold Records. Deep. <laughs> so that's, it's another like where my head was at was like, maybe not sitting in the snow, jazzy and feeling the cold snow <laughs> against my body and appreciating it, you know, and being with the snow, right? And, you know, yeah. this is what my body, you know, that's all, I wasn't, I didn't have that kind of guidance. <laughs> I was just like, oh, wow. So those things would like move me, even if they're silly to, to say out loud, but those those things would move me. Threshold. Yeah, yeah there were also, um, uh, comes to mind, comics, like Superman and Batman and all these guys who could do all these crazy, crazy stuff. But, uh, you know, they were comics. They were just made up. It wasn't, it wasn't real. And then there used to be this one um, series in England, and it used to be, it was called The Champions, and it was three, obviously, secret agents, and, and they, they were trapped somewhere in the snow near Tibet, and they were given special, special powers. I used to really like watching those, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I I have to I, I I feel that I have misrepresented my family a little bit, and I want to give my mom some credit here. Amidst this sort of very perfectly scripted blue collar suburban Protestant upbringing with certainties all abound all around, my mom took me for some reason to see in the theater when I was 12, maybe, in the theater in the afternoon, just me and her, she took me, I was an excuse, I think, to see Chariots of the Gods. So that's what you reminded me of, Jazzy, is that the, the Special Powers was this series of films by I think a Danish filmmaker documentaries that mm -hmm. attempted to show that the earth had been visited by aliens, right? And here's the proof, right? Um, yes. Chariots of the gods. So and it was sort of debunking the myth that there were gods, but the gods were really aliens. And so since the primitive, quote unquote, primitive people didn't have a category for them, right? They became gods instead of like, hi, we're from this other planet and we're going to mess around with your DNA. You know, <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> and what was the other thing she did that I would, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, the other thing is she did was on, on St. Patrick's Day, from the time I was in the first grade, she would dress me on St. Patrick's Day wherever all the kids were in green and it was a green day, you know, you know. She would dress me in orange. <laughs> and I had to go to school, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, while everybody's, you know, touching what they have of an Irish heritage 
I'm like, and they're like, why are you in orange? And I'm like, well, see, we were on the losing side. We're the Protestants. <laughs> so here's a second grader trying to break it down for the other second graders, which, you know, that too, I think those two things my mom chose to do to me, right? Or for me or with me also did also, so it's not fair to say it was totally linear and, and completely without, you know, um, alternate views wow yeah it, it, sorry jim it, 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 springboards very good yeah. it's kind of like a springboard right you just jump on the springboard and it lifts you up yeah kind of, right you get lifted up for a little time and then you're back down oh that was up that was up <laughs>